everybody to the Real Collective Podcast. Happy to have you here. As always, feel free to hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and share this with somebody who you might find this interesting. Uh, you can book an appointment uh, directly with me in the Calendly link below. We have a special guest today, Mike Chan, my good friend, uh, longtime client. Uh, we've done a, a bunch of business together. Mike actually helped me uh, uh, understand things from an investor point of view when I was first licensed probably 10 years ago or so. And uh, we've had a great working relationship so far. Mike, thanks thanks so much for, for joining. That's no right. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. Mike uh, does a lot of work with local investors, working with uh, you know local investor groups, Oreo and 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 the like, and uh, gives back a lot to the community. It helps a lot of people who are you know getting started uh, with you know coaching and mentoring and and understanding what Ottawa is like and how it's different. You know, a lot of investors talk about things from a you know either Canada wide perspective or a Ontario wide perspective um but Mike looks at it uh, from from a much better uh you know much more hyper local uh, way and I think that's important uh especially because Ottawa is different there is a lot of confusion in the market people don't know what's going to happen with rates people don't know what's going to happen with prices you know nobody really has a crystal ball but one thing that I really like Mike is that you really do a deep dive in terms of your data analysis and you use that information uh, to inform the, the investment decisions that you make. So I'll let you, I'll let you expound on that. Yeah. So I guess I'll give a little bit of history. Um, I got into this around 14, 15 years ago. Um, and if we go even a little bit further back from that, it actually started with our first house purchase back in 2005. And we did that. Um, now I know the term for it. It's a house hack. Yeah. Uh, back then, we we're just like, oh, there's a basement and we can fix it up a little bit. We can put somebody in there to kind of offset the cost. Yeah. Uh, when we bought the house in around the downtown area, it was 300000 And at that time, we thought it was insanely expensive. Yes, because we could buy something for like, I think at that time, I think even like one ninety two hundred, yeah, uh, out in the burbs, right? So spending that extra hundred was a lot for us, but at the same time, we also did it um, with a certain ecological mm. uh, mindset. Going, we can get away with one car because right. me as an engineer, our offices were all downtown. My work was downtown. I was working for the government. Uh, and my wife had a five-minute commute. So that was part of the reason why we also bought where we did in the downtown core area. Um, but because of the extra cost, we were like, well, how do we kind of offset it? And it was just a simple concept of saying, well, we'll rent out the space that we're not going to be using. Because at the time, it was just my wife and I. Right. Uh, and it's kind of funny because to this day, we still rent it out. <laughs> <laughs> good even though our family's expanded and we're just like oh we should be able to make do because i'm from hong kong you're from korea this is still a luxury <laughs> the amount of space we have yeah yeah absolutely even though we doubled the density um of our family so it's kind of funny yeah yeah but you know it's 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 if you're used to it you're used to it yeah and then how we got into real estate 
um, after that um, was we walked into a bank and there was a financial planner and they're like, oh, we'd love to help you plan out your future retirement. And we're like, okay, we're game. And we're the perfect demographic. We're 30 something, uh, just had a kid. So they want to open an RESP for us. And then they want to talk about RRSPs. And then when we did all the math, it was like, oh, you'll retire at 85. <laughs> and we're like, how is that possible? Like, theoretically, based on our jobs, and what we do, how is it that we're going to be destitute? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in retirement, if I retired at 65, we'd be destitute. So it didn't make much sense to us. And then um, with my background um, in in housing and in buildings, I was like, okay, let's see if I can leverage what I know. Mm. And that's one thing I try to encourage uh, people I meet that um, want to get into real estate. I'm always about the education is important, but also what you know about housing, leverage that. Right. Like what you know, like who you deal with on a daily basis. Um, that can inform you about the type of housing you want to get into in terms of the type of tenants you want in terms of the like if you live in a condo right now an apartment yeah you might be better off doing uh oh sorry about that um you might be better off getting into that type of space because you know that space there's right. certain things you know how condo boards work um but you may not know as much how to how much a roof should be fixed or what you should be concerned about when you get a house like there might be a boiler you have to be worried about but if you're buying an apartment you don't have those concerns so i always tell people leverage what you know first yeah. um because whatever you know is going to be invaluable like what i know in my space was what i knew i knew how buildings stand up so my whole thing was i can go look at let's say a building that doesn't show well but I can tell if the bones are going to be good or bad. So I leveraged that part of what I knew. Yeah. Um, so, and being an engineer, we're pretty conservative. We're a super, super conservative uh, bunch. So I think I read up at least for at least 18 to 24 months, like any book I could get my hands on from like, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki to uh, Don Campbell. Uh, he's a Canadian investor out, yeah, out in uh, BC there. Yes. Um, and I just read everything I could get my hands on. Those are actually, I would say, some of the books. Uh, I, I'll recommend maybe some a bit more, but. I, I got into it going, I don't want to pay thousands of dollars to get educated in the sense of that type of tuition yeah. um, because I found that almost to be counterproductive because I'm like, that's money I could be putting into a house. Exactly. Um, and on a certain level, I would say I can learn at my own pace if if I'm reading a book. Um, and then I can compare notes as well. Um, so for me, that that's the way I kind of got educated in the space. Um, 
And a big part of it was figuring out numbers. So even from the very onset, I started looking at uh, the ML MLS um, almost re religiously every day and trying to compare numbers, trying to understand markets. Um, even though we talk about Ottawa as a market, there's literally pockets within neighborhoods. Like you can look at Alta Vista and you can go, well, how far does that go? What are the boundaries? Within Alta Vista, there's Anvil Acres. There's, I think, an Applewood something in there. Um, there's Ridgemont area. Um, so even within those areas, understanding the dynamics within those areas, because I find like in Alta Vista, once I kind of pass Kilbourne South, my price changes like around $60,000, right? Yeah. If I go up one block, it goes up 60. If I go up another block up to Crestview, now I'm up maybe a hundred to a hundred 50,000. So those things are important. Um, and we'll talk about that a, a bit later. But in my education, that's what I did is I started to look at everything from a general to kind of a very focused um, part uh, of neighborhoods and understanding like, okay, is there buses there? Um, what's the rental market like? Because for us, it was always about um, building a buy and hold portfolio. So yeah. we weren't really looking at flips. Like now we do some flips, uh, maybe one every 18 months. It's really far in between. Sean kind of knows that almost our the whole model of, of uh, what we do as investments is uh, over time. Uh, we want it to grow. Um, we want to see the we want to see equity growth, and we get some cash flow. Um, that essentially is how we're looking at at buying. Um, and we also looked at Ottawa as a business model itself. Um, if we buy a property, what should it be? Let's say cash flowing, or how much income? Like even more basing than that, how much income should I get? um versus my expenses um which is really i guess i usually call it like if i can't explain the house on a napkin or the property on a napkin i don't want to buy it like if it's that complex at the end of the day um i just don't want to deal with with anything because for us real estate is really that simple i mean we can come up with 10 different variations of formulas to arrive at the same spot right. I, I always call it because the ratios are always the same yeah. um and the other thing the biggest thing i took out of all the books at the end of the day is always buy value it's like warren buffett says yeah. you know know what you're buying and buy value so what for me what value means is somebody has a problem in terms of they, they want to offload the property, um, we're willing to buy it with no fuss. We'll, we'll close on it, but this is the price we can offer based on our business model. So right. if I can buy, for us, if we can buy between, you know, 90 cents or less on the dollar, we normally would do it. 
um, because that protects us, protects our investors, um, protects the investment itself. It allows us to take money out um, in a, I guess, a faster fashion than, let's say, uh, 60 months. We can kind of whittle it down to between 12 and 18 uh, if we're buying on value. And then that allows us to to grow. Like that's one of the key strategies we use. Yeah. So the, the idea is if the fair market value for a property is, let's say, $500,000, you want to be buying it for four fifty dollars at the most. Right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Cool. Now, uh, you you made uh, you made um, a point that sort of triggered something in my mind about what I know that you do, and I know that you're connected with certain like Ottawa support programs where they help you uh, offset the, you know, the the tenants or help you place tenants or, or or get you know more money from the tenants. How did you how did you how did you get linked in with that with that section? Um. So. I would say when you first start out, um, and this is something now we're actually, I'll get into that a bit further after, but when you first start out, just do it for profit. Do not have any inkling that you need to give back in any way because you're starting at the bottom. Um, So once we got to a certain size, I think we were past around 40 or 50 units at that point. Um, then just walking around a neighborhood one day, um, that's outside of normally where we go. Um, it's just by chance. Um, there was, I think a lady there, they're doing a barbecue outside. I started talking to this lady and it happened to be a group home. Um, and they were actually getting, I guess, evicted, reno evicted essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started talking and it just became like, oh, you guys do this. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, then I think it took around six to eight months where I really studied the space um, of what they currently had, um, what made it successful and what we found with, um, let's say, I'm using homeless people as a very general sure. term. But I would say like um, the type of homelessness we deal with is from, I guess, from refugees. So we deal with refugees as one type of homelessness. So you have to think about it. Somebody comes from another country. A lot of them don't even speak the language. Um, They've been accepted by the government. So they're living out of a hotel. So their kind of homelessness is not the type of homelessness that I think most people equate to, but they are considered homeless right? because they're literally living out of a hotel. Right. So there's that group that we deal with. And then there's also people that have gone through an addictions program. And what they need is they need a group home support. Mm. Um, because the way the government runs right now is a lot of times the government's like, oh, once you're done your program, we want to send you off living by yourself. Right. Because the ultimate goal is for people to be, quote unquote, independent. Yeah, rehabilitated. Right. right. Yeah. But from at least my rudimentary understanding of that is that a lot of these people need still need support. Um, in terms of community support, so from each other. Yeah. So what 
we went out to do then is to create a model where by design, we created uh, these four or five bedroom units that a group of these um, folks could live together. And it's the same with the refugees. Right. Um, a, a lot of times they're uh, maybe a couple, but a lot of them are just single, one person. And to stick them in a bachelor apartment is usually not a solution for success right. because they need community. They need people that even speak their own language. Like imagine going to a country, 24 hours a day, you got literally aliens walking around you just doing stuff you're, that you're not even familiar with and not even speaking something that you understand, right? So it's super tough for these people, right? And what we found where we get success is we put them in with uh, people that speak their language, uh, that cook their own, the same food, yeah. Um, and then we surround them with support. So we give them furniture, like there's a furniture bank that operates. Uh, we give them language training. Uh, we give them employment so they get experience. They get Canadian experience. Yeah. A lot of times these people don't get hired because it's like, oh, you're from an ocean away. We don't think you know how to work, even though I'm pretty sure work is exactly the same in ocean away as it here. You have to wake up, go to your job, do the work. Yeah. But somehow that type of experience is just not recognized um, by for whatever reasons, right? So it's it's cool you said by chance, but the thing that uh, that stood out in my mind is you were out and doing stuff, right? You weren't uh, sitting behind a computer. You were out there in the world. And yes, chance happened, but chance happened because you were out and you were engaging in the community, right? And so it wasn't by chance. It was, you know, it wasn't, you weren't going out to look for it, but you found it because you were out and you were doing what you needed to be doing in the community. So um, another question I had is uh, you, you mentioned at the at the very beginning about uh, ecological uh, and you, you use that with regards to your personal house. Uh, and, you know, I, I, would, I would say, um, you know, knowing what I know about you, that's something that, you've had sort of in your mind in the back of your mind as you work on your different projects uh that it's it's not just about um you know not just about um the bottom dollar it's about the world that we live in as well right and so i, I hear that when you when you're speaking as well yeah i think that's the thing is a lot of times people feel like green costs more and a lot of times i would argue Green is a choice um, that, if you're smart about it, will actually save you money. Yeah. Like the prime example I tell people is the flooring we put in is normally twice the price of right. the cheapest flooring you could put in. Um, and you can go, yeah, that can, let's say, double the price of a project. But my argument to that is not really, because at the end of the day, the guy laying the floor is still going to charge the same amount. He doesn't care if it's a dollar a square foot or $2 a square foot. Yeah. He's going to charge you the same price. Like your quarter rounds that you have to put in after, that costs the same amount. So I would say putting in better product that can life cycle better. So that really, you know, that term really is life cycle is what's the best use um, in terms of material that you're going to put in place for the type of tenants you're going to have and what do you expect to do do you expect to replace this floor in two three years like to me when you look at 
and McDonald's, right? They've got a plan to replace everything in five years. Like any McDonald's I've ever walked in, I don't think it's older than five years. Yeah. Um, so the product that they're choosing is designed for five years of use. Right. And I would say most homeowners, but like the places I go into, you know, if it's a 1950s built house, the floors are still in amazing condition because they wanted that floor to last 40 years. Yeah, It's not at the time that they couldn't put in a cheaper floor. There was cheaping floor out there, just like today, right? Yeah. But somebody had in mind that they wanted this floor to last 40, 50, 60 years. So they put in a product that would withstand that. So I would say anybody doing a reno in this type of space shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm going to have tenants, they're going to break stuff, they're going to abuse it. And I'm just going to put in the cheapest thing possible because I'm thinking of replacing it because there are products out there that will take the abuse. You just have to kind of look it up yeah. and just put it in. Like we've had stuff in for 10, 12 years now, and it's never been a problem. Yeah. Like we just wash it. Like the tenant may not clean it as well, but we go back in, we wash it and it looks brand new. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, a good place to stop. I want to uh, uh, pick your brain about your expectations for the market in the second half. Uh, so we'll jump into that. Uh, as always, guys, uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, share this with anybody who you think might find this information valuable. Uh, you can book in a, uh, book an appointment with uh, me in the Calendly link down below, and uh, have a quick word from uh, probably our sponsors, which is us. And uh, we'll see you back on the other side. This episode of the Real Collective podcast is brought to you by Real Collective. Real Collective brings together best-in-class real estate agents and collective experts in the field to deliver the best possible service to our clients. We govern ourselves with honesty, open-mindedness, and compassion. With diverse skill sets, our agents are able to better serve a wide array of clients, including first-time buyers, first-time sellers, transferees, estate sales, investors, and rural, vacation, and luxury properties. Authenticity and transparency are pillars of our process, which allows us to put our clients at the center of everything we do. Our years of experience and knowledge allow us to deliver prestigious service and optimal results. If you are interested in buying or selling your home, contact us today at realcollective.ca. Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Collective Podcast. I'm Sean Tasse with our special guest, Mike Chan. As always, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and share with anybody who might find this valuable. You can schedule a link, uh, you can schedule an appointment in the link below, the Cali link below. And uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, great. If you're not, have a look for it on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Now, uh, we opened up and talked a little bit about your business. And I wanted to see if there's a way that uh, all of your knowledge and insight you can uh, uh, expound on for the for the viewers in the in the second half, talking a little bit about, you know, what you did specifically to ensure that your business was in good standing, uh, as the market did some crazy, you know, dip dives uh, last year and, and and what your expectations are for this year in terms of, you know, rates and price points and the particularities that you notice in the market in Ottawa. So I know that's a, a mouthful to, to cover, but uh, jump in and, and, and let us know what you're thinking. Sure. Um, so there's a couple of ways to dissect that. 
um, in terms of uh, protecting your investment or even an investment you're getting into. Um, so for us, I think the number one thing is kind of we touched on it earlier is we buy value. Um, I would say if we look at Ottawa historically, like I think this is the first, like I think this is the third time in 50 years the, the market has been this volatile. Yeah. Um, where we saw uh, a plus minus of more than 3% yeah. in a given year. Because I think if you look historically, things usually move up 1% or 2%. Um, I think we've been kind of blessed in the past 15 years. It's gone up maybe 1%, one, one to 1.5%. Um, and there hasn't been these huge decreases. Um, and in my years of actually owning property, I think last year was the first time I ever seen anything move in six months as fast as it did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and I'm, I'm talking to agents who have been in business for 40 years and they're saying we've never seen movement like such, such a drop off, you know, so, so, so significant and so fast. But at the same time, I've also never seen an acceleration, um, as fast, like it went up so fast in, uh, 2021 into 2022, like that, I, I um, in terms of like, we do a, a lot of data analytics and we did not see that coming at all. Yeah. I mean, at the end of 2019 yeah. or going into 20, I guess, mid 2019, September, this is before the pandemic hit. One thing that may have been an in interesting indicator is the market was getting pretty warm back then. And yeah. I noticed Minto had actually overnight raised their prices um, in September by, uh, I think it was 120000 for a new build out in Canada. Mm -hmm. And then by December, they raised it another 120000 So they went up 300000 in the course of six months then. Yeah. And the prices held. Like people were still lining up for new builds. Um, and that kind of didn't change surprisingly even through the pandemic you think with all the isolation and everything else like why are people going up and buying houses but uh i think that we can now look at 2020 hindsight um people just weren't spending money yeah so they were literally amassing tens of thousands of dollars yeah um from not going out yeah um and that's what really drove the market in the I would say in places where you would traditionally want to park money, um like in housing, that's one. Yeah. Um but it actually grew markets that never existed. Yes. So one example I would have is like Bitcoin. Yeah. Why did Bitcoin that was an asset because People were looking to convert their money into an asset that really was still money to a certain degree. It was just in a different form. Yes. That's what people wanted to do. Um, so I guess long and short of it, for us, we didn't change our business model because we always saw Ottawa still, I know the cap rates kind of because of the price increases 
cap rates maybe drop to, I think I even heard 2%. Yeah. You know, two and a half percent. Um, our cap rates always have sat around when we would even look at a house between five, five point five and five point five. Um, usually with some construction conversion, uh, we would hit around eight. Yeah. Uh, cap. That's usually what we targeted in in our modeling. So. And that's the thing, like Sean's known me for, you know, about 10 years. And I always tell him like, cap rate hasn't changed. Ottawa's still the same. So for us, we were protected in the sense that just because the pricing went up, we actually did not change our model. We didn't feel like it necessitated a change. And that a lot has to do with... um, where the government and this is more uh almost we could devote another podcast to this is government policy in terms of lending so within the ottawa market the big five banks lend to a certain ratio of you know between uh three and a half and four times your gross income and to me that's that's what's supporting pricing Right. Um, to a large extent, because any new home buyer going into the market, that's what they can take out yeah. um, from an insured mortgage point of view. And that's what we're willing to lend to. So we saw that as kind of, unless that benchmark changes, then maybe we need to change the business model to a certain degree. And at the same time, we also saw rents essentially take a drastic skyrocketing trajectory up in the past i would say three to four years yeah like now like i think a one bedroom is almost what 1800 yeah in certain spots like i'm looking in parkdale 2600 for a two-bedroom so your so your your cash your cash flow is has really been good and it's the fact that you had this uh you, you had this portfolio built in advance i don't think you bought a lot of places as the market was doing some crazy stuff unless we were finding some like some really, like you said at the beginning, some really junky houses that were in good shape um, that were underselling sort of thing, right? Like that's- I guess my take on it is there's around 12,000 to 18,000 houses for sale every year that transact in Ottawa. Okay? Sure. There's probably more that are listed, but yeah. those don't sell. Yeah. And I always tell you, Sean, I only need to buy three or four. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not buying the 18,000. So I'm not as worried. So I'm like, I just need to find the three or four that work for our numbers. Yeah. Right. If this works for our numbers, that's great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And we actually like the other part of where we save a lot of money is we've developed a construction crew and these are salaried people within our company. They yeah. exclusively work for us. Um. So I don't have to worry if somebody's going to show up or not. If I have an emergency, I send one of the guys out, they go fix it. Uh, It almost never is an issue Um, from a staffing perspective or where tenants get upset because things aren't getting addressed because I can't find a carpenter. Right. Yeah, because you've already Um, Yeah, so that's a big part of where we found we maybe let's say 
on a one-time basis, you can make an argument, we're paying maybe a premium because we couldn't find some guy on Kijiji, right? right. On a one-time basis. But if I tell you, you have to do 10 projects this year, right? Yeah. And go do it off all off on Kijiji. You're kind of blowing your brains out trying to get a projects done. One, two, dealing with warranties. Three, dealing with stuff not getting done properly. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that's where we save the most. Like right now, I think chargeouts are between 65 and let's say 95 an hour. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, if you hire a company or anybody, right, or just a private person, you're maybe at sixty-five. Our base run cost, I think, is around fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's where I can honestly say, on paper, this is where we're saving money. Um, and at the same time, like our guys are trained on materials we use day in day out. Right. So the flooring that we use has been the same for the past ten years. Right. Right. So people get used to doing it. Um, and at the same time, we also do quality of life for our employees. Yeah. So yeah. nobody works weekends. Yeah, you do. You know, just go in Monday to Friday, get the job done. Sometimes we understand like certain days you 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 go into a project and it feels like you've done nothing. You may be just readjusting an event that took six hours to do because once you start moving one thing, another thing, and another thing. And we know like for certain companies that don't foresee things like that, that's where it becomes issues. And then they start cutting corners. Whereas for us, we just tell our guys like, look, we understand certain days you you go do something. And it's like, even in the office, certain days I go in and I'm like, I got nothing accomplished all day. I sent one email out, but I was putting fires out everywhere except doing my own job, yeah. right? So there's that stuff like that that happens. And having your own company gives you the freedom yeah. to to really manage jobs, how they should be done. So things get done properly and correctly the first time around. And we're not going back constantly yeah. because we just try to cut a corner. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as, the, as you know, choosing the floors that are a little bit more expensive. You know, you're better to spend a little bit more and get it right than to try and cheap out and make a mistake and have to go back and, and fix it. The last piece that I wanted to uh, to to pick your brain about was um, when we had a conversation, we were talking about, oh, well, there's some of the uh, local unions are coming to settlements and all, all of that is going to sort of uh, uh, crescendo into uh, people in Ottawa specifically, having a little bit more disposable income that they might not have had before and combine that with, you know, this sort of doom and gloom idea that uh, the, the sky has fallen, the sky has fallen. I just did the numbers uh, for the end of Q1, we're actually up on the residential sector by $55,000, even though we were down by $200,000 in the residential sector, you know, through the, through the, the, the great reset that we had in 2022. So, you know, um, you know, a lot of people listen to the year over year numbers, and they don't really pay attention to the month over month numbers. Uh, and I think you're going to like you, I don't, I'm not connected to the same uh, uh, information sources that you are. So what, what are you hearing in terms of, uh, or what are you expecting to see over the course of the rest of this year with regards to buyer sentiment? Yeah, so I think the Bank of Canada has a couple of white papers out on this. Um, 
Interest rates usually take six months for people to digest. Um, This is the first time the Fed has raised the rates as much as they have, um, quarter over quarter. And usually it's six months. Maybe it's going to blend out into more of an eight-month kind of calming down of the markets, you could call it, um, where people digest it. Because even underwriters are having difficulty trying to understand these types of drastic changes but as people like within the sector because a lot of times we just see it as like you just see it as a buyer i guess Mm -hmm. um for me because we're actually in it um in the sense that we are masters of our own house in the sense that everything we worry about financing we worry about insurance yeah. We worry about the underwriting. We worry about the refi. So, and those are all almost completely different components that are all linked to this interest rate thing. So if you go, what's the commonality within everything, right? So the example is our insurance is coming back um, for renewal. Um, this, I think next month, right? Now I have to go back and actually rejig all my rebuild numbers because I don't want to be underinsured, right? Right. So you can go like from an interest rate point of view, like what does this effect have, right? So for somebody like investors like us, where we see everything, the insurance companies are taking longer to underwrite. The actual finance departments are taking longer to underwrite. People that are doing in the refi business are taking longer to underwrite because now they're looking at like, oh, you used to be able to take, uh, let's say up to, I think it's 80% of your loan to value on your house, right? right? But that, what people, a lot of people don't realize is that's also blended out onto how much money you make. Yes. Yeah. Right? So now that we've increased the interest rate, well, how does that actually affect that whole number? So it's not just as simple as going, well, how, why can't somebody just readjust to an extra $200 payment? Um, right. It's a, a little bit more complex than that. And I think that's part of it too, is that people are taking longer to reach out. So when I talked to my finance partner, it used to be one telephone call. Um, do we want to finance this building? Right. Right. It's going to be at X percentage, right? Yes or no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now it's like, okay, Mike, uh, just pump the brakes. Can you give me two days to figure this out? Yeah. Let me relook at the numbers because people are, are cautious, right? Because yeah. people want to be repaid back on whatever they're putting out. Or if they're going to have to insure something, they want to know what are we actually in for if something does happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think that's working through the system. And I think now we're coming kind of out the other end. Um, answers are now like the example is like I talked to a finance financing person just yesterday and they were able to almost give me an answer back over the phone saying, yeah, yeah that won't be a problem. Where go back even a month, that person would be like, no, 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 let me get back to you. I, I'm, I'm going to look at it one more time. Now it's more like, oh, okay, that's what you're looking at. Yeah, we got no problems with that. Um, and I think. Those are the little things that give people confidence. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you go, sorry. Yeah, so I think with all that 
in mind, we're also now seeing, you know, the example is you go into Home Depot, a two by four actually looks reasonable now. Yes. We're not paying $10 for that two by four. So people that are looking at going in, and I would say most, like 80% of the people that buy a house or a home look at renovating the house in the next five years. So there's always something that they're willing to take the house as is, let's say. But they're like, yeah, within the next five years, we'd like to remodel X. Yeah. Right. And if they go into Home Depot and they see a $10 two by four, they're going to be like, oh, that's really expensive. Yes. Right. And now that we're seeing everything come back down to, I would say, what the actual market price is for things. Yeah. um, People have more confidence. They're like, yeah, I can buy a house. I can do the renovation. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, so it's a good segue uh, to, to to finish this off is um, what is it that you need? I know that um, part of your business model involves partnering with other people. So if somebody wants to get into investing and, and hasn't done it before, can they reach out to you? And if they can, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Probably the best way to get a hold of me is through Sean, through you. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, we have a website, uh, amghome.ca. Um, they can contact me through there. Yeah, uh, drop us a line. Yeah. Um, we're a pretty tight knit investor group. Um, we try to get to know you. We try to align um our values, our vision um with the investor so what that means for us is if you're looking to flip that's not something we do what we're trying to do is to try to build homes for people we're renting out homes to people um if you look at our tagline our tagline is um your home now um because our mission statement at the end of the day is to give people a home um, it's not to try to um, make as much as possible off them in, in that sense. Right. Um, we're trying to provide them housing that's up to date, that's maintained, um, because they're getting a product and that's our product. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and that's what we're striving to do. Um, and making money, or you can say the profit at the end of the day, is we're looking at using that to get another home that yeah. we can fix up and supply to somebody else. So that's really our model at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the best way to kind of describe what, what we do as investors. And that's for some people. And that's not for some people that we found out right so usually it's a process Uh, we get to know you over several months um because at the end day you have to work with the group of people that you're invested with we all need to get along absolutely Cool. Well, listen, thanks very much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I, uh, I, I think I learned a few things that I didn't exactly know about your business before. So it's nice to, to do this and, and get into it. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody, if you guys want to uh, reach out to Mike, or if you're interested to pick his brain more, reach out to me. I'm happy to put you in touch or check out amghome.ca. Uh, and 
yeah, if you'd like, uh, obviously hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, uh, uh, you know, and all that good stuff. Uh, you can book uh, an appointment directly with me if you'd like in the Calendly link below. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And until next time, keep it real, collective.